This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Uh, we welcome you to Bite Into It, where we discuss computing, new technology, the internet, uh, Elon Musk's crazy ideas. Um, I'm actually in some kind of pizza parallel existence at the moment. Uh, I, I seem to be kind of thinking and, and talking and dreaming about pizza all of the time, and any game that has pizza trees in it is, uh, is going to catch my attention. Uh, Cassie, uh, where would pizza vegetation uh, come in handy for you, do you think? Where, where do you need more pizza trees in your life? You know, I have a problem with lactose, so pizza often upsets me oh. uh, on a physical level. So, so. It's, kind of, it's kind of like um, blackberries, really, for you, if there was pizza trees out there. You'd have blackberries? To be avoiding them. The bramble, you know, the thumbs oh, and stuff. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be eating them. I'd be climbing over the fence and, like, stuffing mm. my face with them. And, yeah, so it's kind of good that they're not, they're not around, I think. I'm just glad they're not on my way to walk to work because it kind of defeats the purpose of walking to work, right? Of walking, yeah. yeah. Mm, pepperoni. <laughs> it would definitely be uh, positive calories at the end of that, I think. <laughs> um, pizza Trees appear in Towncraft by Flat Earth Games and tonight we speak with uh, Elisa and Lee uh, about their latest game project, Objects in Space. Um, people like us uh, are hopefully listening to the show tonight. Um, that would be nice. Um, James Noble, what would you say uh, the common tech, ha- tech habits of the three of us are? What, what is the technology of people like us? Uh, I think it'd probably be the social networks would be probably quite a big one for us. That's true. Um, I've actually been thinking about not having a uh, smartphone. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I feel I'm so inundated and so so full of tech all of the time, and I've started to notice everyone looking at their phones on public transport and walking mm. to work, and mm. even watching a small a mother with a three year old on the tram. Tra- with, Three or trying to get her attention, she was too busy on her phone. Like, yeah, and this is a, there's got to be a moment in life where you can just walk away from it, right? You you realize you're on buy it right now, right? Yeah, like, I'll still have my laptop. I'll still be <laughs> online like 18 hours a day. At least it won't be next yeah. to me while I'm sleeping for those six hours. But um, um, maybe not the smartphone. That's fair enough. Yeah. Um, the exhibition people like us uh, will be exploring the interrelations, uh, interrelationship between art, technology and human experience and opens in Geelong uh, on June 18. Uh, tonight we speak with curator uh, Dr Felicity Fenner. Uh, before we have those chats, uh, first we're going to have a look <coughs> at what's making news uh, here in technology. Uh, Yes, speaking of things that it's time to retire, Mm. the ATO is actually putting the beloved, (laughs) maybe not so beloved, whatever, uh, it's eTax software to bed forever. Uh, So if you aren't up to date with this, eTax was something that you could download to your computer and do your tax returns on, and there were various problems with it, never really worked for me, Uh, but Instead of... It's being replaced. It's not just being cancelled. We are getting uh, something different called MyTax, which you can actually use by logging into the MyGov website. So that's where, you know, if you're getting Centrelink, Medicare, doing all that stuff online, ATO stuff, you're already logging in to MyGov. So it's Mm -hmm. really centralised it. It's allowing it to be pre-filled with certain things. So it's Mm going to make doing your tax even easier. And it even allows people with rental properties and that type of stuff to use it. So it's broadened up the scope of people who can do tax Mm -hmm. by themselves. So while um, this maybe isn't the best news for accountants, it is great news for for the average wanting to do my tax at home and not talk to anyone about my expenses type person. I do like the shifting of responsibility there with the language from e-tax, which is just something that we do to 
you better damn well do this because we're not we're not helping you in any way, and we're we're coming for you because um, it's it your me. tax. Everything's getting the gaps are getting smaller and smaller to be able to you know, not necessarily dodge tax, but be able to do things in a different way that you can do later mm. down the track. Like I stopped using. I got someone else to pay my tax. Kev, I should be careful what you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, stopped, I stopped doing my own tax and got an accountant to do it for me because I mm. got so frustrated with the thing with that, yeah. that platform. Um, but now they're, they're simplifying it, and merging all the all the different government agencies together. They're going to mm. start talking, and eventually there's going to be a lot lot less loopholes that you can uh, that you can do bits and pieces with. I imagine it is. Uh, it is probably a good um, thing. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. We, w- we would like all those government departments talking to each other, and uh, and stops us having to sort of do all the legwork for them yeah. um which is pretty nice but um yeah i don't know it seems like it's um it seems like it's been a long time coming it's 15 years isn't it uh, said on the, yeah. 17 17 yeah so it's, it's been there for a long time yeah. Speaking of something that has been a, a long time coming, uh, the inevitable um, sale and, and breakup of Yahoo um, is, is getting closer and closer. Uh, it did have a, a breath of fresh air uh, a few years back when uh, Marissa Mayer um, joined the business and there was a lot of, uh, I guess, positive talk uh, mm. around what they might achieve. But uh, it probably has failed to deliver um, over the past couple of years, um, probably due to the sort of changing media landscape, I guess, and they are sort of heavily invested in, uh, in media. Um, some of the um, bidders that are interested at the moment, uh, um, Verizon uh, they're expected to make a bid next week um, and some of the other uh, sort of wireless businesses AT&T um, Google's parent company Alphabet are interested and uh, former AOL partner Time uh, is also interested uh, AOL uh, CEO Tim Armstrong had been looking into the acquisition um, I don't know what that means um, whether he searched for them on uh, <laughs> Yahoo or not and um, checked out the top results but um, yeah there is a, a bit going on and yeah the the kind of um, reported figure of around um, four billion um, I wouldn't be surprised if Google end up purchasing them so that they can cross-reference the data to see what's given more information on people. Yeah, that's good. It'd be a smart ploy. You could just put Google in the top search result for everything in, in Yahoo search. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be kind of funny and cheeky. It's amazing how much uh, information is worth these days. $4.1 billion. Wow. Mm, yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know. It's, it's a little bit disappointing. I think anything that um, reduces competition in that space where you've got all these you know huge players kind of um, controlling so much of our lives, Hmm. Um, is a real shame, but I don't know. They they seem to really struggle to figure out what what they actually were, yeah. um, and in every area that they were, there was someone stronger and better and more and sort of more innovative. As long as we can keep Yahoo Answers, that's really what matters to me. Yeah, well, we're, that is we're, one of the top search results. When I mean, you look for what is or why is, then they always get the Yahoo answer at the top. Yeah, why is my finger stuck in my ear? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I think it, it further reinforces that how powerful and how strong Google have come become over the years and the fact that everyone's a lot of people in the new generations just assume that Google is the place for the internet like not that it's another website that you could go to to find information like like DuckDuckGo and things like that like, they've got to be in the know to know that it even exists so it's interesting to see how the others have slowly been mm. gone like there was was it two cows was one called and Lycos something oh like that. okay remember all those ones that used yep. to yeah no uh, yeah, see? <laughs> Show my age. Where are they now? Uh, uh, another piece in the news was um, Facebook Messenger had a security flaw that was discovered, uh, I think it was the, uh, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see that it's, it was basically discovered by people whose job it was to try and find the, find these hacks within uh, the Google, uh, sorry, within the Facebook Messenger. And I think it's what I read from this when I found, found out about this was more to the point about it's kind of following suit from the uh, WhatsApp that did the full end-to-end encryption uh, and the fact that they're not sure whether this has been 
as anyone has actually hacked it or not they can't guarantee that it hasn't already been found by someone else and this also get, gets more into the legal th- into the legal ramifications because what they could have done is changed the conversations between people in, inside the yeah. messenger application rewriting so by, history yeah so that way the the, the biggest uh, the sort of things like for example um, if it's a defamation case or it's a conversation that's been brought into evidence then now all those conversations and all those um, rulings that could have been swayed based on this conversation they can, mm. people can now could potentially claim that it had actually been hacked um, so it's quite an interesting case that it's not more than just a you know, ask oh, someone's found my username and password for something, or someone says that I was home at seven when I was home at eight. This has actually come into legal ramifications that could be worth billions of dollars for, from this alone. So um, it's quite an interesting case, and I think that they, Facebook are saying they're looking into it and they're, they're not 100% sure. So it's interesting where that goes from there. As far as I could see from that, though, you could only be hacked by someone you are already having the conversation with. So it means that, but still, if that person was hacked, <coughs> then you could change things. But it does mean yeah. that, especially in legal cases, cases and yeah. you're taking the history and you're like yep this person definitely said this at this time yeah. um it can be a battle of the techno and, now. and, and we, if, if it's someone you're already having a conversation with but if they're hacked and it's kind of like yep. it, one person that was hacked uh in recent times <laughs> several times so was, glad we've got this in here was mark zuckerberg um his twitter and pinterest accounts have been uh re-secured uh following uh recent hacks um i wonder what he pins <laughs> yeah well his linkedin uh, password was actually shown to be wink it was uh da 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 um which is not the strongest password really maybe you could put a cap on that uh mark um so fortunately the the hackers were uh, kind of uh, i guess really just fanboys and just wanted to probably get, get a job on it, get a job really so <laughs> So um, they didn't actually um, bring the world to its knees. Um, but potentially pretty embarrassing for a person responsible for uh, a billion passwords um, mm. uh, out there. I mean, I guess he took baby's first word and turned it into baby's first password, so... Ah, zing. Oh, <laughs> so you did that. Uh, so, yeah, um, I mean, you know, it's the thing about the plumber. Uh, always has the worst plumbing, so, you know, maybe yeah. he's not really sort of looking after his own stuff in the, in the way that he should, but it's embarrassing. Uh, I'm sure his PR team was, um, was pretty annoyed about it, that. It also makes you put into question about all these, you know passwords that you've got floating around and what information is out there that what could happen like and mm. you, know, you can't always no conversation is private basically oh, i don't know knowing the zuck it's probably a, a whole plan that he had anyway he probably just wanted to be hacked it's he was he hadn't had enough press recently until, it was yeah. a trap uh, coming up in Geelong, uh, if you do get down that way or if you live in Geelong, uh, is a wonderful show, People Like Us, uh, that will be exploring the interrelationship between art, technology and human experience. Uh, it starts on June 18, uh, which is not too far away. Uh, joining us on Bite Into It tonight is Dr Felicity Fenner, uh, who is the curator and also director of uh, University of New South Wales Galleries. She's a, a renowned curator of contemporary art, um, having done lots of stuff, fairly exhibitions of Australian and international art, I believe. Uh, Felicity, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Hi, how are you going? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, rugged up and it's pretty toasty in here. So um, I did see something the other week about, um, maybe on The Onion, about um, a news story. Um, uh, winter surprises Australians for the 228th year in a row. <laughs> um, but uh, we're okay. Um, so it looks like a, a really interesting show. Um, it, people like us, w- what does that kind of um, evoke to you when you think about, um, uh, I guess, art, technology and space? What, what's your first um, instinct there? Well, the title—it's been—it sort of had mixed reactions, actually, because um, for me, it was it, 
the whole brief of this exhibition was to make it very user-friendly and because it's touring to 15 galleries around Australia. So the idea was to really involve everybody, not just art aficionados or academics or mm-hmm. particular groups. So that I sort of wanted to make it do that, but also it's about everyday people, so it's very much about everyday experience. And it is all a techie show. I mean, all the artists are working with some sort of technology, uh, which was also the brief for the exhibition, but it's in a very user-friendly, accessible way. Do, do you think that's important for, uh, I guess, what you'd call new media works, that people can be involved in them? Um, you, you can't be a, yeah. a sort of a passive observer of, of, of the work? Yeah, I think, well, you can you can be passive. I mean, if it's just a video or something, you can, you know, I've seen people in biennales, you know, walk in, so don't think, oh, you know, I'm not going to sit here for 10 minutes and and leave. But there has been a bit of resistance um, to people becoming involved or, or responding really positively to more work that's more technical than that. So, like, in this show, there's virtual reality and things like that, and that can be a bit scary, we found, for, for some audiences, but we're just trying to break it down a bit with this exhibition and um, make it not scary. I did see at a, a show recently um, somebody who contributed some work pick up the actual exhibition on their iPad and start showing me something else in the browser, and I was kind of like, well, maybe not the best thing to do. It is fun to play with the stuff, but, um, you know, yeah. don't, don't pick up the art, perhaps. Just on that point that you were just mentioning there about the uh, sort of bit of um, pe- the audience being a little bit um, uh, hesitant to interact with this information, you think it's been a complete opposite with the actual artists that they're more than happy to be able to attempt and try new technologies with their art? Yeah, look, artists have um, because artists are always looking for different platforms to say what they want to say. I mean, in the end, for me, I don't really care if an artist is working in virtual reality or video or ceramic pottery. It doesn't really matter. I mean, if it's Mm. about the message and the work. But I think it's the same with artists. Any new way you can get that message out, they, they do embrace it. Yeah, I think it meant the the lines of art, what what art is, is are blurring across all the different sort of from technology to. I mean, originally people would have think would would ultimately think of a painting when they thought of art, and now it's sort of blurring lines across um, screens and walls and virtual spaces. I think it's quite a it's an exciting time to be be able to be part of it. And uh, I mean, this uh, looking at this exhibition and looking at the bits and pieces that you've got through here, it looks great. I mean, you, you I'm looking through some of the things that you've done in the past, and uh, you've certainly been busy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I have. Oh, look, I mean, just going back to that thing about what is art, I mean, some of the things in this exhibition, probably people would argue that's not art. I, and I don't mean in a way that only my five-year-old could do that. I mean in a way that the works were actually developed for other reasons. Like the, the um, that work that you, I think you might have been referring to, it's, an, it's actually an app, the George Coote app for children in hospital to help them deal with chronic pain. And that was commissioned by the Children's Hospital here in Sydney. Fantastic. Is it art? I don't know. I mean, it's got beautiful colours in it, which is, and it's interactive, which is what seduces the kids to play with it. And then it very trickily, you know, um, loves their heart rate by calming them down. Yeah. They're more compliant when it comes to having to have procedures that they don't want to have. So it's kind, I don't know if it's art. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're talking to the converted. I kind of think of art as anything that invokes an emotion from another, and that can be anything. So it's, I think, it's a beautiful way to. If it's calming children, then it's it's evoking an emotion, which is art. It's kind. Of, it's, it's not a helpful conversation, is it? Like, is that is that art or not? We shouldn't be talking about should no. it be in the space or not. Um, but what is it? What does it mean? How's it What's you interesting feel? about? Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly right. Um, what are some of the pieces that uh, interest you most, uh, Felicity? What What are you most excited to share with people? Oh, look, there's. I think there is there is another one in there. There's a few interactive works. Um, there's there's a bicycle that you can hop on and take a ride through the streets of Sydney. And that, again, was not developed as art, really. It was developed um, in the context of urban mapping. Um, and so you hop on the bicycle in Paddington and you're in front of a huge screen and the faster you cycle, the faster you will travel through the Sydney traffic, which, which is, you know, not fun sometimes, but you are quite safe because it's, it's virtual. And uh, I think people are like that. A lot, because I mean that bike was had we had to keep replacing it. <laughs> I mean, you're putting a real time element there to say doing Google Maps or Google Street View, but you're actually moving through a journey, which I which I think is really amazing because you, you've got this with Sydney now, but there's so many possibilities of doing it, you know, internationally or really being able to experience mm. a completely different place without having to fly over there. Well, that's right, and that's why these two artists that made it were brought in by urban planning people. So it just shows how art can be very useful in real-world applications. Hmm. Do um, do you think do you think um, the people who come up with these, I guess, rich media experiences, consider themselves artists, or are those are the kinds of conversations that you have, or it's just a, it's an interesting thing and it's a great experience for people, and there is a there is um, artistic merit in that. But, um, they, they are working industry um, outside of the arts. I mean, the VR piece, a virtual reality piece in there, which is developed by an artist with with doctors who basically are finding, well, having problems explaining to patients. And a classic example, the one in the exhibition, a stroke patient. Um, and you say to someone who's had a stroke, oh, you shouldn't eat so many French fries or you should stop smoking or whatever. With what he's done is actually animate um, the the actual um, x-rays and MRI of a stroke patient made it sort of colourful and you can see it and basically the doctor can say, here, here are your insides. That's the clot that caused your stroke and if you keep eating those chips, that clot is going to get bigger and you're going to have another one. So it, it makes it a lot less abstract. Wow, <laughs> that's really interesting. Something that caught my eye as well in terms of the exhibition, now I know I'm a little bit partial to cat gifs and memes and, and that type of stuff, but uh, there's actually some immersive purring cat portraits. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about <laughs> that? Course. Yeah, that's one of my favourite. That's um, Sue say She's an artist from Luxembourg. And, I mean, the show's called People Like Us, but I was also thinking of what people like, and people do like cats. And this work, I saw it at the Busan Biennale in South Korea and people were queuing to experience it. So you just know it's going to be good. Um, And yeah, five portraits of five pretty ordinary looking everyday cats and you sit in front of the portrait and there's an MP3 player and you put on the headphones and you hear that cat purring really loudly. Um, I mean, cat purring, the vibrations of cat purring have been shown by scientists 
to help with osteoporosis and help in the um, healing of broken bones. And so it does have this incredibly beautiful calming effect. And you can change the channel and listen to any of the five cats. Which is pretty cool. And, I mean, I guess there's real-world real world applications as well. Who knows if you're actually incorporating that, if your cat's passed away, you've got their portrait, you've got their purr recorded. Maybe that's something you could even have at home. You could just plug it. <laughs> it certainly um, picks up the usual taxidermy um, that you might see on... Cure your osteoporosis. It's perfect. <laughs> it does does everything. I'm totally going to record my cat's purr now, but just in case. You know, you never know. You don't. Um, <laughs> So aside from aside from this um, this work, you you do have um, uh, an impressive history uh, working um, in uh, art in Australia and uh, and around the world. Um, I was interested. One of the things that caught my eye was the National Port- Portrait Gallery's uh, inaugural Digital Portrait Prize. Um, can you tell us anything about that? Um, what is a digital portrait uh, as um, entered in in that um, prize? Well, it's basically photo based or. Portraiture, but there were also film-based ones in in that. So it's the National Portrait Gallery trying to get away from you know very conservative portraits, which we usually think of as painting, and trying to open up to um, new media. Interesting. I, I was curious to get your point of view on um, how you feel. We we all do self-portraits these days. I mean, sort of um, <laughs> photography is so um, pervasive, and we're all kind of. I'm not sure if you're familiar with a lot of the the, um, the sort of video um, uh, kind of filters that you can put on on photos and stuff these days through through things like Snapchat, whether it's kind of flaming horns or, or kind of you know stretching our face or, or what have you. Do you have you ever had a play with that, or have you come across that in in any of your your um, media? No, I look. Uh, it's a fine line, isn't it? When does it? When is it just mucking about, and when is it art? And I don't. I don't think I can go there really. <laughs> Fair enough. I think it's interesting that we're all uh, at least interested in that space as well. So we're, we're more appreciative of um, how we how we present ourselves uh, when somebody else does it, um, which is interesting. True. True. So for the for um, the, the show is on for uh, about six weeks, I believe, um, and you're actually uh, you're doing a talk on the first of July, if I'm correct. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm, I'll be in the gallery on the first of July doing a talk. I'm not sure what time, but it should be on their website, on the Geelong Art Gallery website. And, uh, and for people who haven't met you or, or seen you speak, what, um, what, what can they expect? Why should they get down on the day for, for, to catch up? Well, I, I think I'd just give them a bit of insight into each of the works and I can mm-hmm. have to interact with them and answer questions. Nice. Okay. Um, well, it certainly looks like a, a fantastic show, and uh, the Geelong Gallery is a, is a really good space as well. So if you haven't been there, uh, it's definitely worth um, getting down to. Uh, Fantastic. Uh, Felicity, it's, um, it's great to talk to you and uh, we'd like to catch up with you um, maybe after the show and, uh, and, and see how it was. See how it went. All right, perfect. Thank, thank you. Thanks very much and have a great night. See you. Uh, we do like to game. Uh, gaming um, keeps us awake, makes us late for work. Uh, so we're always interested to talk to um, the people who are doing interesting stuff in the game space. Uh, Lee and Alusa Harris uh, are from Flat Earth Games. Uh, they're doing some pretty cool stuff with um, gaming and particularly um, space-type games. Um, Lee and Alisa, thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. No problem. So uh, Flat Earth Games, C- can I ask where the name came from from that? Is there a, is there a story behind, behind your name? Oh, we just thought it would be really entertaining to get occasional emails from people who have some rather interesting views on the spherical nature of our planet. <laughs> 
Oh. And, and, and has that come up? Have, have people taken you to, to task at the bar or something? Uh, no, just, just occasional online. We get a few comments from people who, I, I don't know, I think they might actually think that we think the Earth is flat. It was actually just a reference to the kind of games we used to play as kids. There was always like a three-quarter or top-down perspective and a lot of really flat environments. Um, that is true. I was, we were trying to um, uh, play some Nintendo games the other day, and there was um, heaps of stuff going on. It was very flat. One of my favourite ones. What was the? Was it Moon Patrol? You were trying to land it, or was it the one we actually on the buggy? Yeah, you're in the buggy, yeah. and the buggy's kind of got like the independent suspension, and the flowers are coming out of the yeah. potholes and stuff like that. I'm looking through some of the flat Earth games you've got on here, and uh, like the the Towncraft and Metroside, and like they they're the kind of games that still run up my alley. I don't really get dig for the 3D stuff. I like my favourite game is still Living's. <laughs> I saw a reference to that the other day. Um, so uh, we're interested in talking about objects in space. Um, mm. can, can you tell us where that's at, guys? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a game we've been working on now for a year and a half, two years, um, sort of in the background. It's an open-world space trading game where the emphasis is on stealth. We represent space as a 2D plane, and we've modeled all the spaceships after submarines. Oh. You're navigating your ships rather than piloting them. You don't have a main view screen, and you're sort of trying to hop between nebulas and asteroid belts, using them uh, to obscure your visibility for other ships. There's a there's a great uh, image on. Uh, we might tweet out a link to um, the story up on Polygon.com. But there's kind of a. Uh, I guess you've recreated the um, navigation deck of a submarine with with this game. Is that right? Something like that, yeah. We've, we've very heavily based the design of the ships after uh, submarines in terms of their, their interior um, because we, we wanted to give the feeling... Uh, we wanted our ships to feel more like uh, you were looking at Star Trek or Alien rather than uh, Star Wars. Yeah, it's very... Um, it's, it's kind of got that sort of 60s communist era kind of submarine layout. Yeah, or, I'm loving or, that or, master alarm. It's like the big red button. You have to give it a good work with the palm of your hand. Or the ones that we're going to be building in Adelaide <laughs> next to the, the shonky deals that we usually get <laughs> with our submarines. Something that really amazes me about this is you know and we were talking about 2d and 3d and stuff but actually with the control panel that um we're we're tweeting out in the article and that you've actually set up i've heard you can play the game without the control panel but it just makes it so much more engaging and interactive because it actually feels like you are powering a spaceship where did that idea come from and and how are you finding that incorporation uh, the incorporation was pretty easy because these days, uh, you know, all the technology and all the hardware you need is available. You've got hobbyist stuff, like we use Arduinos, um, which you can buy at JCAR, uh, and then just plug it through the computer and hook all the switches up. Um, and I guess it just came from very early on when I saw an Arduino when we were still prototyping the game, and it occurred to me that um, I really wanted to have a physical control panel, kind of like you can buy a joystick and figured that seeing as we're actually in a position to try and do that, which you normally aren't if you're not actually programming the game yourself, um, we'd give it a go. What I was actually thinking, though, was with with the, the game setup, do you imagine that the whole control panel would be something that people would either make themselves or buy, or do you sort of see it set up in an arcade where people come and, and it's about the novelty? Beach Daytona. <laughs> I think um, we're, we're very much trying to empower people to be able to build their own stuff at home. We're going to release the source code for the interface with all the controllers 
so that anyone can follow the steps that we'll put up on our website and uh, make a, a replica of the one that we've built or their own thing. But we'll try and make it modular, so we'll release the code on like a per-button basis. So someone can decide what controls they want for their own personal setup at home and build them that way. I think we'd, we'd entertain the notion of trying to um, get some for sale, but if we did that, we'd have to go through Kickstarter. And uh, yeah, it's not something we've ever done before. We're a very small team, so we don't really have the ability to map this just yet. So uh, how did you guys come together? What's your kind of shared theory on, on how gaming should be? I guess we came together being siblings. That was a good start. Um, certainly play a lot of games together as a result. Yeah. I mean, speaking about my relationship with my sister, we wouldn't necessarily... We, we were together for a little while, but we kind of did our own things. But what made you bond over games, I should say? Uh, I'm not sure. It's just something we always shared as kids. We, we had a tendency to find ways to make games co-op, like... When we were playing the original Mafia, I remember that one person would handle all the driving, the other person would handle all the on-foot stuff. Oh, yeah, right. If we didn't have access to the computer, then we'd play, I mean, we'd, we'd played, like, uh, not that we knew what it was back then, but we liked the choose-your-own-adventure and um, writing fantasy books, and we found a way to turn that into what were basically tabletop um, role-playing games. Uh, You've kind of you've ruined my question because I was thinking oh, there's far too much collaboration going on in these games. So I was going to ask you who was the better gamer. No, that's that's interesting. Who's the better gamer out of you two? Would you say, guys? Oh yeah, you were just like staring at each other. <laughs> Silence. Whoever blinks first. Depends entirely on the genre. We actually play like uh, our preferred genres, even though there's a huge amount of overlap, are quite different. So you know, if we're going to sit down and spend hours playing a new game, um, they tend to be quite different. Mm. I think possibly the, the games that we played when we were younger, there was a lot more overlap there, but they weren't hyper-competitive games. Um, like, we played a lot of Civilization, Railroad Tycoon, and those sorts of, like, Sid Meier, early microprose-type games, um, but they were more shared experiences. We, I think we never really got into competitive games very much. Yeah, at least not, not necessarily with each other. I mean, at LAN parties, I used to, um, you know, try to kick people's ass at Quake, but... Um, yeah, and eventually I stopped playing because you continually kicked mine at Quake. Yeah, so uh, I suppose at 90s shooters, I would be better, and almost anything else that involves hand-eye coordination, Lee would be better. Well, I guess it's really cool that you both diverged with um, you being the lead programmer and, and Lee being the lead designer, uh, which, is, which is really great, because you aren't then competing over... Who's better at what? You're actually using your skills collaboratively and, and it seems like you're doing awesome things. Well, thanks. Um, yeah, we, we've been able to work pretty well together. Um, I think uh, it's been... like We really seem to be able to work with other people um, on like a, a short-term basis because we can only really get people on uh, for short periods of time to do like a little bit of music here or a little bit of writing there. Um, we still haven't quite graduated to the point where we're big enough to have our very own employees or anything like that. But it's mostly just you know friends and other people in the game development community who we like to work with again and again. Do you think there's um, a, a real um, interest out there in customising games? Um, we did uh, have a chat a couple of weeks back. With um, We were talking about sort of um, massive multiplayer online games and sort of customising your own chips and, and so forth. Is there just something kind of not um, not very personal about um, the sort of um, 
sort of blockbuster games that come out these days? You, you kind of shepherd it into a particular experience or style of play that, that you guys want to break out of? Oh, a little bit, but I think uh, generally, I mean, if you're talking about modding and, and sort of customizing your experience, it's still a very large thing, especially um, with the advent of games like Minecraft that are very, very heavily uh, based on building your own things, even if you don't, even if it's not technically modding. Um, yeah, I think that that creativity is certainly there. People just gravitate towards the games that fit their play style. Like some people just want to be incredibly competitive at a shooter and they don't necessarily want to customize the experience beyond what that is. Uh, and other people lean more towards games that are inherently creative. I mean, I think I'm probably one of the uh, the least ga- game-playing people in this room, um, but I, I, I love seeing some of the documentaries. I saw about the indie game, uh, I think it was a year or two ago, and uh, it was, that was kind of an eye-opener to see the opportunities of what people, sort of their ideas and dreams have been turned into games to let other people play their dreams, and I thought that was a really interesting approach. Um, I, th- I think the fact that, that where did this idea come from, this, this sort of... Um, Objects in space game. What was the what was the initial premise that made you think to do something like this? As a you know, so you got the metro side and you've got the town craft. It's a it's a very different approach to to a game than what you looks like what you've done before. Uh, it actually came from. I mean, this is one of the oldest game ideas that we've had. In fact, we kind of because uh, we used to do you know incomplete hobbyist sort of games like way back when we were younger. But um, back when I was probably fifteen, I was still obsessed with the idea of being able to command big starships and, you know, command the Enterprise and stuff like that. Uh, But every video game that I played tended to want to do more fast-paced dogfighting, and so even though I quite like first-person shooters, my coordination with a joystick was terrible, which meant that even though I love sci-fi and space things, I could never be very, very good at games that I otherwise quite liked, like Privateer or Elite. So I guess on some level, the basic ideas of, of what objects in space is have been sort of percolating for, you know, 15 years now. Right. It was also a, um, it, it was partially a matter of practicality. We just finished Towncraft, and it became obvious to us that like we needed a whole bunch of people to help us out with the art. We're neither of us particularly stunning artists, so we wanted to do a game that wasn't going to require or that, that was going to fit our skill sets of um, being like programming and design heavy. So the idea of doing submarines in space was kind of cool because we wouldn't have to model every single stellar object out of a front view, um, view screen for you to go and look at. Right. That's a really cool way to approach it. And also, when you've, I'm, I'm sure when you're manning a starship or a submarine, it's not just one person doing all the work. With people being able to mod it, do you see people getting like a team together to, to play objects in space? Or? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. It's just a question of how that gets together but even with the consoles that we've got um occasionally we've had you know someone will sit down next to me like oh can you hit those buttons for me and it instantly just sort of becomes yeah people it shows they're just one person's been in charge of weapons and that sort of thing we we certainly want the game to have like enough for you to do that if you just want to tackle engineering or if you just want to handle comms and sensors that you probably could do something like that and we, we certainly want to make sure we're not putting any blocks in place that stop people from having that kind of co-op experience. And, and I mean, for me personally, I think the idea of an absolute success for this game would be um, if we actually got hobbyist groups springing up that were building enough of their own stuff that they had their own, that they'd get together to actually play the um, play on their own spaceships sort of once a week or whatever. That that would be fantastic. That would just that would make my year. 
We would definitely encourage that. Uh, Lee and Lisa, where, where can people get involved in Objects in Space? What's the, the next thing people should do? Uh, they should jump on objectsgame.com and we've got a mailing list and we've got forums and we are constantly doing a devs update. Uh, I think once every couple of weeks or so we're coming out with a podcast letting people know exactly what we've been working on. We'll, uh, we'll share a link to that uh, after the show. Um, guys, looks like a great game and um, best of luck with it. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks for your time. James, Elon Musk has been saying some uh, interesting stuff, as he often does. What's going on there? Um, well, he's uh, convinced, or not convinced, so he was asked quite recently on a, on a, on a panel, um, and he was uh, saying there's a slim chance that we're not living in the simulation, according to Elon Musk. Uh, it's about one in a billion, was it? Um, wow, a simulation, so no, none of this is potentially real. None of this real. is potentially real. We are actually in the Matrix. Um, and as you said, uh, the, maybe the... Uh, um, Wachowski brothers are actually the same person. Um, <laughs> um, it, it was interesting to say, I mean, he's, he's been talking about this for, for, for a while, and he's been having this conversation with his brother since 2003, so uh, it's quite an interesting... I, I just like the fact there's, like, a twist to it. Like if, so the guy that is making, trying to come up with something that if the world comes to an end, we can leave it on mm. in, in rockets. Um, thinks or, it's a simulation. Yeah, thinks it's a simulation, so I thought it was quite interesting. Very playful. What else is going on in the news, Warren? Um, another thing that's playful... Uh, a month ago, uh, Uber and Lyft uh, paused operations in Austin, Texas, um, after voters defeated uh, Proposition 1. Uh, undeterred, uh, they have found another way uh, to get around this. And while there's uh, a few sort of law-abiding apps that have sprung up to take their place, the thing that's really killing it uh, is a Facebook group called Arcade City Austin uh, Request a Ride, which now has uh, around 30,000 members. Uh, so what they've actually done, uh, riders post their request, which is typically a, a pick-up and drop-off destination, uh, as well as a, a time, and then within a few minutes, uh, drivers can actually respond to that and give them an ETA, a price, and a phone number. Um, riders are then instructed to delete the post after confirming a ride so as not to clutter the page, right. which is great. So drivers have even started posting uh, little brochure graphics and little things about, you know, they used to be involved in, in Lyft or Uber, so they've been vetted, and, you know, it's all very um, kind of DIY. Interestingly, though, um, it's not as um, um, folksy as you think it would be. Um, it's actually been set up by a business called Arcade City, which is a new ride-sharing app um, that hasn't actually launched and hopes eventually to become a totally decentralised ride-sharing solution. Um, the cool thing is they basically just want you to arrange it yourself, and however you pay, whether it's cash, uh, credit card, or even just hugs, uh, they just want people to get around. They love the idea so much that they thought it was important to work even without a business around it. Which is really, really cute. That's great. I mean, that reminds me back to leaving the clubs at late that night in London, and when there'd be someone outside offering to give you a ride home for ten pounds. So you know, exactly. now, it's, now it's on a Facebook page. Exactly it. Um, there's a couple of events just quickly. Uh, Cass, which which ones would you go to if you had the time? <laughs> well, we do we do have some all female events going on right now. <coughs> There's Lesbians Who Tech and Friends, which is happening in Melbourne on Thursday, June 16 in Fitzroy. So that's actually a free event. You can donate as well, but um, it'll be great to come together, lesbians and queer women. And there's also She Hacks, which is Australia's first female hackathon. It's on again uh, from the 22nd to 24th of July, but you can buy tickets now. And there's plenty of different ways to get involved, so make sure you check that out. Um, that's been around for a little while. It's uh, a pretty good one. I'm trying to remember the um, there's the Hustler, there's the Hacker, and there's a third um, ticket that you can also buy. So they've kind of got it themed. Um, it's a really cool idea. Quite a few people have actually come out of um, SheHacks and gone on to do uh, some amazing stuff. 
Um, thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, thanks to our guests, uh, Dr. Fenner and also uh, Alicia and Lee from Flat Earth. Um, shout out to our, our podcaster, uh, Justin Petch, who's doing an amazing job. Uh, we've been bite into it. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. Uh, we've had a good time. I uh, hope you have too. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.